Welcome to Harbour. We are a progressive Christian faith community based in Carrickfergus, Northern Ireland. You can also find us at harbourfaith.com. Today is from Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 35. On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was asleep in the stern. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? The uh, reading from this morning is a very, very familiar story. So familiar, in fact, that it's really easy just to switch off and let it wash over you. And the central miracle, this moment when Jesus speaks and calms the storms, calms the waves and the winds, is the bit that we often focus on. Wow, isn't that amazing? What an incredible thing to do. And it is. But focusing on that part of the story can make us miss the wider implications, can miss all the other miracles that are swirling in and around that one event. And it might help to start by pointing out that at this point, the disciples weren't actually sure who Jesus was. I mean, they'd left their nets, they'd left their jobs, families in some cases, were following this itinerant preacher all around the countryside, but they still weren't sure who he was. Even when he calms the storm, when he performs this great miracle, and they had seen miracles before, but when Jesus performs this one, they're prompted to ask, who is this? They still haven't quite figured it out. And actually, if you read the rest of Mark, they never really do. They never quite get it. But they follow him anyway. It's okay to follow Christ, the Messiah, with doubts, with suspicions, whilst being unsure. We still can follow in Christ's footsteps. In fact, that's how we encounter miracles along the way. But I want to point out to something else, something perhaps even more profound than this, because for the disciples of Jesus, we read the story they are in. But at the time, they probably thought they were in another story, because for them, there was already a famous story about a group of people out in a boat at sea, when a storm is whipped up, threatening to swamp the boat and sink it. And there is a prophet down below, asleep, who they have to go and wake up. Of course, this is the story of Jonah. And again, in the story of Jonah, we're tempted to let the whole being swallowed by the big fish bit, that miracle overshadow the larger story of Jonah. But notice actually in Jonah 1, verse 5, when the storm on the boat that Jonah is on is raging, we read this bit, bit of the story. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Does that sound familiar? 
the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. And the story continues. Jonah stands up and says, do you know what? This storm's probably because of me. I'm a prophet of God and I'm not going where I should be going. Because as you probably know, Jonah should have been going to the city of Nineveh, but he was running away. And Jonah fesses up. I'm the problem here. Throw me overboard, right? Sacrifice me and the storm will go away. Now the people on the boat are reluctant to do so, but in the end they do. They throw him overboard and the storm is settled. And we know the rest of the story. The fish swallows Jonah. But the thought must have crossed the minds of the disciples. Wait a minute. We've got a prophet asleep. We're not quite sure who he is. Maybe we're going the wrong way. Maybe this is God's sign to us. Maybe this is God's way of telling us to turn back. They were, after all, going to the other side of the lake, which is not immediately apparent to us. But to those in Jesus' day would have been known as the Gentile side of the lake. That's where they were going. Maybe we shouldn't be. Maybe we should be turning back. And so they go and wake Jesus, and they ask the question, don't you care that we're about to perish? I wonder, were they thinking, come on, Jesus, do the right thing here. Do you remember how Jonah saved all the people on his boat? Just admit it. We've gone astray here. Do the right thing. Save us. Could they have meant for Jesus to sacrifice himself to save them? Of course, eventually, that's exactly what Jesus does. But not yet. What's even more fascinating about the story of Jonah and its similarities to the story of Jesus is that Jonah had been sent by God to preach to the city of Nineveh. And Jonah doesn't want to. Why? Why doesn't Jonah want to do what God says? We're tempted to think that he's afraid those Ninevites will kill me. Nineveh, in case you don't know, was the enemy of Israel at that time, the capital city of their enemies. And later on in Jonah, when Jonah eventually goes to the city of Nineveh and preaches repentance, we get this little line, repent, city of Nineveh, and it says that they do repent and they turn from their ways and God relents from sending punishment to the city of Nineveh. And this is exactly what Jonah was afraid of. He prays to the Lord and said, oh Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I knew it and ready to relent from punishing. He knew you were going to do this. They're our enemies. They should be taught a lesson. They should be struck down and wiped off the face of the earth. But I knew you weren't going to do that. And I wanted no part in this forgiveness of my enemies. Jonah runs from God's direction, not because he's afraid of God's wrath, but because he's afraid of God's mercy to others. Interestingly, when Jonah presses God about this issue and Jonah goes into a huff, can't believe you've forgiven these guys. God answers Jonah and says, look, there are 120,000, and I'm quoting here, men, women, and children who do not know 
their right hand from their left. Shouldn't I have mercy on them? They don't know what they're doing. Isn't it interesting when Jesus eventually makes his own sacrifice on the cross, he also offers forgiveness to those who are crucifying him, the Roman soldiers, everybody gathered round, on the basis of what? They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. This is the same God. God's mercy is given to people to save them from themselves. I don't know if you've read or watched um, Lord of the Flies. If you don't know the story, there are these uh, young Americans, they're like cadets, and they crash land on a Pacific Island. And the captain of the, the pilot of the plane is seriously injured and eventually dies. And these children are left to their own devices. They have to figure out how to have a society, how to have rules, how to look after each other. And you know the story, it kind of descends into anarchy and chaos. Tribal loyalties develop, people get hurt, people get killed. Because the children are going by what they know, by the world they understand, and they start to build this society where there are tribal loyalties divided, where there are fights, squabbles, people excluded, people with special treatment, basically like the world we all know and love. But the ending of it is fascinating because the action ramps up and ramps up and it, be gets, it becomes worse and worse as time goes on. Till towards the end of the story, they have set fire. One of the tribes has set fire to the island to try and drive out uh, the remaining rebels that they see from the other tribes so that they can kill them. And the uh, refugees from the fire are fleeing and they run to the beach just in time uh, to see the co-pilot of a helicopter which had landed on the shore searching for these missing kids. He steps out onto the beach and sees what's going on and his words are fascinating. He says, what are you kids doing? That's his question. What are you doing? And there's this moment, at least in the film, where the kids just stop and they see someone, an adult, a grown-up, and they just melt. They burst into tears. They start sobbing as the realization hits them about what they'd become. What are you doing? Jesus here is the adult in the room. Jesus is the grown-up who comes and watches us tearing each other apart in our societies with our tribal loyalties and says to us, what are you doing? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's interesting to note where Jonah's hatred of the enemy, Nineveh, actually comes from. That well-known prophet whom we all read regularly, Nahum, obviously none of us read Nahum, he's a kind of a minor prophet in the Bible. It's interesting to note his prophecies are almost exclusively against Nineveh. He hates them. This is what Nahum prophesied, unlike Jonah. He says, with an overwhelming flood, God will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into the realm of darkness. That's what should happen to Nineveh. Nahum says, the Lord has given a command concerning you, Nineveh, our enemies. You will have no descendants to bear your name. I will destroy the images and idols that are in the temple of your gods. I will prepare your grave, for you are vile. 
says Nahum. And it goes on and on through the prophecies of Nahum because there was this school of thinking amongst the Israelites that that's what ought to happen to our enemies. God is on our side. That means he is going to wipe out our foes. It's not enough that we get to win. Someone else has to lose. That's their mindset. That's where Jonah's coming from. How can I go and just forgive these enemies? They're supposed to be wiped out. They're supposed to have no descendants. Isn't that what the prophet tells us? And actually, God says, no, we've got that wrong. They're not vile. They just don't know what they're doing. And this is hard for Jonah to swallow, if you excuse the pun. It's hard for the people of Israel to swallow that their enemies aren't going to be smited with fire and brimstone after all. Instead, they're going to be forgiven and included. There's a point later on uh, when the Pharisees and scribes are talking to Jesus. This is in the Gospel of Matthew. Some of the scribes and Pharisees said to Jesus, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. And notice this. Jesus answered them, An evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so for three days and three nights the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. The people of Nineveh, those enemies of yours who God forgave, will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the proclamation of Jonah and see something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is siding with Jonah and his message, not with Nahum and his. We need to understand that these two different approaches, we want our enemies taught a lesson. We want them wiped off the face of the earth. They are vile. There's that mindset. And there's the, actually, we love our enemies to be forgiven, just the same way we were forgiven. And that's the other mindset. And these two are at war, even in the Old Testament. And they both come, and this is the important part, from our understanding of what God's like. Nahum, with all his prophecies of the doom and destruction and burning of his enemies, come from chapter 1, verse 1, where Nahum says this, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. This is what Nahum thinks God is like. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. That's what God's like, says Nahum. And so obviously for him then flows, well, he's obviously going to destroy all his enemies. Compare that with what Jonah said. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. Do you see how polar opposite those two views of God are? What's God really like? Is he vengeful? Just waiting for his chance to get back at his enemies? And if we think that's what God is like, is it possible that that's actually coming from us? Maybe that's how we feel about our enemies. 
Maybe it's not enough that we have salvation and forgiveness in Christ. We also want to see our enemies pay. There's a mindset that says that's the way it is. But in Jesus and in Jonah, we find this trajectory, which is not quite like that. We find a kind of forgiveness that's so profound, it wins both the enemy and the friend. Because when Jesus, in the original story, says, be calm, be quiet, I think he's talking both to the storm raging in and around the boat and to the storm that's raging inside the disciples. They're conflicted ideas about who Jesus was and what Jesus was like. Jesus says, be still, be calm. I am of the mindset of Jonah. I am going to sacrifice myself as Jonah did. I will be in the grave three days as Jonah was in the belly of the whale. I am going to give forgiveness because they know not what they do. This is the kind of savior I am. Are you ready for that? Are you ready to drop your tribal loyalties? Are you ready to let go of your desire to see someone punished, someone taught a lesson? And are you actually going to open your heart to real, genuine, authentic forgiveness to the other, even the worst other you can imagine? Because that's what I am going to do, says Jesus. So be calm, have faith. It's going to be all right. It's not going to be easy, as it was certainly not easy for Jonah. But this is where we're headed. May we be of those who find our hearts calmed and peaceful in the presence of the Savior. May we be those who let go of our desire to condemn, to have judged our foes. It is possible that we can all win. We can all experience God's mercy, salvation, and forgiveness. We don't need to have the desire to see someone else punished. Let's pray. God, as we sit here together, it's a calm day right now. The winds are low. We're safe and secure. But Lord, we are willing for you to provoke a storm in and around us if it propels us towards following you in a more authentic way. Give us, Lord, the storm before the calm so that we can really rest into the way of Christ, challenging though it is. We want to be those who follow you ever more closely. In Jesus' name.